0: But they didn't have tanks, like at Waco. So it was like a step up. They did really well. <laughs> at least they didn't they have did tanks. so well. Like, they tried. They did a great job. Well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Psycho Cinematic, the podcast where we analyse depictions of disability and mental illness in popular film and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fernasia. Please note this episode contains depictions of childhood abuse and sexual assault. If this episode brings up anything for you, Lifeline is available on 131114 and 1800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732. I'd like to start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land in which we record this podcast on today. I would like to pay respect to the Wurundjeri elders, past and present, and extend this respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from other communities who are listening today. I would like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and that we are living on stolen land. Welcome so much to the podcast, Merowyn. I'm very excited to have you on. So excited. I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a while. And then when you suggested, I was like, yes. 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 Do you want to give us a little bit of a background on who you are, what you do, what your passions are?
0: Sure. Uh, so you can follow me <laughs> at nurse.marrowin. I'm sure you'll put the link in the yes, show notes. Absolutely. Um, so I am a nurse. I'm a nurse from Melbourne who's been in the industry for over a decade. I was largely in neurosciences at the start, which was phenomenal, Um, lots of brain tumours and neurological disorders, which I found really, really interesting. Then I went and had kids, had some time off, came back, did some medical nursing in the hospitals and then decided to leave because of the COVID shit show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now I'm in a GP clinic which is really, really interesting, completely Mm. different side of healthcare. Lots of mental health issues that I see Mm. every single day, ranging from people who society would expect to have mental health issues through to people where you'd look at them and think, as if anything could ever be wrong with you. Mm, The reach is far and wide and it's really good to be able to help people and listen to them and make them feel acknowledged with their issues. Amazing.
1: It's such an important role and people such as yourselves and and lots of people in your position are so appreciated and valued by people like me. (laughs) (laughs) maybe not so much the government who should should definitely pay you more money
0: (laughs) that obviously is would be fantastic but it's about having the resources out there in place to be able to support the system and support the patients
1: 100 that's
0: that's a huge thing that needs to change
1: hugely i think it's been very present in the time of covid and very recent times of how under-resourced the medical system is absolutely
0: yeah yeah especially Um, mental Health, my god, oh, it's been yes. that way forever, and everyone always says, Oh, it's so underfunded, it's so underfunded. Speaking of which, I have just signed up for Liptember in September. Oh, yes, so I saw to that already. Instagram for amazing women's mental health. So, I will have the link and everything on my Instagram, and I'll be discussing my own mental health issues through the month and highlighting why it's so important for women in particular to approach a GP or a clinician and speak about their mental health issues because there's so many options out there. Nobody should feel like they have to be alone. Definitely.
1: And there's a fundraiser attached to that as well that people can donate to
0: absolutely, awesome. yes. So I'm hoping to raise a little bit of money and yeah, do my bit to help people.
1: Today we're talking about a documentary, which is the first time I've actually agreed (laughs) to talk about a documentary because we're very much about depictions. But I think this one, just watching it, I was like, yeah, we have to talk about this. Because I think it's a particularly important depiction in documentary form of something that's occurred with lots of trauma and um, obviously lots of themes there that we often focus on. What made you decide you wanted to focus on this one in particular?
0: Gosh, it was like watching it was like a tsunami hitting you in the face in mm-hmm. terms of seeing this deeply ingrained trauma, generational trauma, tied to this huge monolith religious organization mm. that so many women and children and men are uh, mm. Incredibly brainwashed from and can't escape. It just it just hit me like a ton of bricks because I've never I've seen things in the media about um, fundamentalist Latter Day Saints before, but not heard from the people uh, with such variety. Like so many mm. people were interviewed and so many people bravely told their stories and it just brought up issues of mental health. And domestic violence mm. and assault. And oh, it just hit me. And I needed to talk about it with someone who could empathize and understood the magnitude of this documentary.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think that's what I thought was really important about the documentary, too, is how many people spoke from mm. lots of different sides. Of the experience and different genders as well like we could see how it affected the men who came out of the church not just the women who were the sort of like everyone was a victim whether they were someone who was assaulted or not or you know married in etc and it wasn't really anyone else telling the story it was just from the victims and just from the the prosecutors or police Mm. interveners uh journalists etc so It really just let everyone tell their story rather than try and put a narrative on it.
0: Yeah, I felt like the story was completely and utterly carried by the survivors of the church. I loved that they interviewed that older couple um, that had escaped and got the perspective from the husband who'd had multiple wives and his first wife, who, and she said, he was my high school sweetheart.
1: Yeah, no, yeah.
0: That's why I married him. But then I had to share him and I couldn't say no because that's what we're told to do. It's what well, yeah, we're trained to Yeah, that's part of the accept. contract that you sign, yeah. Whew, and it's, oh, God, Intense. it's a lot yeah 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 hugely.
1: I thought I'd do a little bit of an overview of the history of the fundamentalist church of the Jesus of Jesus Christ of latter-day Saints. It's, it's a mouthful it's, not, <laughs> it's a mouthful. Um, yeah. I'll just refer to it as FLDS from here on for everyone's sake. <laughs> and it's not something I knew much about like you know we've had that sort of trope or that message in the media that they sort of are a branch of Mormons who mm-hmm. practice polygamy. Um, Or plurality, I think, is another way to say it. But that's kind of all I knew. But essentially, the FLDS is a religious sect of the fundamentalist Mormon denominations whose members practice polygamy. The fundamentalist Mormon movement emerged in the early 20th century when its founding members were excommunicated from the Church of the Latter-day Saints largely because of their refusal to abandon the practice of plural marriage after it was renounced in around 1904. The FLDS church as a distinct group traces back to the 1950s in the Short Creek community, which is now currently um, cities of Hilldale, Utah, and Colorado City, Arizona, where the group is still based there today. And the FLDS traces their claim to spiritual authority, quote-unquote, to accounts by a revelation from the church president, John Taylor, in 1886, uh, which they say precluded validity of some 1890 manifesto against new plural marriages by church members. So basically this, we don't want plural marriages anymore. The people of the fundamentalist church felt that what they knew sort of preceded that, that message, um, so they pretty much branched off and started their own sort of fundamentalist sect and just to summarize the documentary itself keep sweet pray and obey is an american documentary miniseries on netflix surrounding the polygamous fundamentalist church of jesus christ of latter-day saints an offshoot of mainstream mormonism and its current leader warren jeffs Take it from Wikipedia. It is directed by Rachel Dresden, who began interviewing survivors after visiting Short Creek, Utah, the headquarters of the FLDS Church. Several former FLDS members or survivors are interviewed by Dresden on both their experiences inside the church, as well as providing testimony to Jeff's systematic coercion and exercises of power towards the members of the congregation. People outside of the church, either relating to the events transpiring following the church's move from Salt Lake City to Short Creek, and the investigative journalist Mike Watkiss, as well as private investigator Sam Brower, were also used in the documentary. So that's kind of a very brief overview of <laughs> where they came from and um, why they exist and the fact that they still exist today, which is um, very uh, confronting, really, because I, you know, we don't really expect that to be the case. Is there any any further information you you know about them?
0: Um, just the fact that I think when you look at an organization like that, take away the names, forget about the names. This is a pattern which is repeated mm. all over mm. the world. Yes, and the cherry picking of the religious views in order to create their little fan club, their little ideology. Yeah. It happens everywhere, and that is brainwashing to cherry-pick and state that these are the true words and whatever's been said by this group is incorrect. That's all part of the brainwashing and manipulation and it happens so much. I mean, we can can pull different areas. Yeah, the same method applies. Anti-vaxxers, the Taliban, far-right extremists, Andrew Tate. Like, (laughs) like, let's just go on and on. They might not necessarily be pulling from a Bible, but they're pulling from some sort of manifestation, whether that's formal or informal and cherry picking and making it their own little package. Yes.
1: And giving it more weight than other people's manifestos.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's important to
1: acknowledge too, like it's come from a religion. The issue with the FLDS isn't the fact that it's a religion. It's not the religion that has the issue. It's the corresponding abuse that comes from this particular fundamentalist sect and essentially what you could call that sect is a cult which it actually definitely meets the definition of in this case and what we know about cults is that it's a group or a movement with some sort of shared commitment to a usually extreme ideology um, that's usually embodied in a charismatic leader so that doesn't have to be religion as well. Just like you said, it could be a wellness group or yeah. someone who just believes something, you know, the um, pickup artist sort of men. Goop. Or, you know.
0: goop. Oh, Goop, yes. Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow, Goop. It's a wellness cult dressed up in white privilege. Yes, and, and expensive it candles. Sells well. <laughs> it sells really well. At least it's not as uh, damaging as something like FLDS, and their inherent abuse and absolutely
1: and things like multi-level marketing uh, companies as well where you all ascribe to this ideology of you need this product to be the perfect person and then it's actually a pyramid scheme where the people at the top are the actually the people with all the power and privilege and money and the people at the bottom are pretty much the followers that don't really have
0: any rights or and um, don't deviate from the script because yes, once you yes. deviate you're a bad person and you lose your community and everyone wants to be a part of a community.
1: And I think that's why what well, that's why religions are very powerful is because it's that sense of community. Family, tradition, and culture. It's extremely appealing if you are looking for connection and looking to be part of something that's a bit bigger than yourself, something to believe in that gives you some sense of trust. And, you know, that can be a really powerful and good thing for lots and lots of people. And just like we have Instagram groups and things like that, (laughs) there's nothing wrong with that. It's what happens when that community is run by abusive people who, yeah, pretty much manipulate their followers this is a good time to ask you as well, Have what have your experiences of religion and faith or anything similar to this that you've had in your
0: life? So I grew up in a household which drew from Roman Catholic influences because my dad mm. is Catholic, being from the Philippines. So lots of holidays based around religion and lots of pageantry and formal things that happen, say, when someone dies Mm -hmm. or around Easter, around Mm -hmm. all souls, also known as Halloween, depending Mm -hmm. on where you are, particularly processes around when someone dies and uh, remembering them over the coming years. Mm -hmm. is what sticks with me Mm -hmm. and then I also grew up in a household which was Anglican because my mum was Anglican so she used to drag us to church (laughs) <laughs> I'm one of those kids that went to church. <laughs> um, my brother was in the choir at St Paul's Cathedral in the oh, city. Oh
1: wow, amazing!
0: Um, my mum ended up having her funeral there, so mm-hmm. that so we were a big part of that cathedral mm-hmm. community in the St mm-hmm. Paul's community in Melbourne. I've taken pieces from it. I can't mm-hmm. say I'm strictly atheist. Would be a lie. I definitely want to believe in something, but I don't necessarily think it's what this like guy in the sky. I just Mm -hmm. maybe it's part of my OCD. (laughs) But I'll say the rosary over and over again if I really want something. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't. Yeah, you just. Yeah, I've definitely drawn from both of my parents and their religious backgrounds. And maybe taking a little bit of good and seeing mm. a little bit of bad in both sides. My mum became heavily religious the sicker she got. Obviously that's part of the dying was part of the dying process for her to mm. have some she was going to a better place or that there would be some sort of resolve in her death.
1: And that's where it can be quite comforting.
0: Absolutely. In
1: one's life. Yeah. 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 And also maybe for yourself too, you know, coming to terms with that as well.
0: And having some sort of finality in a big funeral and whenever I go to St Paul's I light a candle for her and Mm. it's one place that I can go. Where her spirit, the, her spiritual side, resonates and comes back to mm. me, and yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So it's almost like a tradition for you personally, yes. as well as that bigger sort of sense of yeah. religious tradition. Yeah. yeah. Similarly, my dad grew up Roman Catholic because my nonna ah, uh, yeah, Roman Catholic. <laughs> was extremely religious, which pretty much pushed my dad away yes. from the Catholic yes. Church as well as he's a very intellectual person so he read up on all the abuse over the yeah. years. So he became very disenchanted with it. I would say he's now pretty much an atheist. Yeah. And my mum was Presbyterian okay, but didn't also really practice or didn't really go to church. So we, as, as kids we really grew up being like, okay, you can get christened if you want to because we all went to Lutheran churches. Yes and it looked good, (laughs) but they didn't really push anything onto us. So I think me and my two siblings are pretty much, if not atheist agnostic. Yeah, yeah. So, but I did, you know, go to uh, Christian schools and had very Christian friends. So I got very much... And you
0: probably still remember the hymns. Oh,
1: yeah, 100%. (laughs) Yeah, all the the hand claps and, you know, some of them were actually really catchy. (laughs) And I did, you know, go through periods where I felt... Like, you know, I think I'm going to be a Christian, like when I was little, because yeah. I was, uh, quite, was quite close to my nonna as well. So I would go to mass with her and things like that. But yeah, as I got older, I got pretty, yeah, just lost sort of interest in the whole thing yeah. and just found it really hard to believe in, like you say, the big man in the sky. and Absolutely,
0: yeah. And, yeah. you
1: know. I still get that fear, though, because I have a huge fear of death um, that, you know, if I die, I'm going to go to I'm gonna go going to hell. That's
0: the OCD it, coming out. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> I have OCD tendencies too, although not diagnosed. And yeah, it's sort of that. Wouldn't it maybe it'd be a safer bet to just be Christian just in case? Cover um, yourself. It's like yeah, insurance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's insurance, yeah. But it's very hard to actually practice that. If my yes.
0: Right it. <laughs> I think hearing what you said, it's obvious that we've had that influence in our lives, mm. but we've never had to fight to be able to get away from it. It's yes. been a natural progression that no, I'm not going to go to church every weekend. No, I haven't gone to church for Christmas every year. It's yeah. We've never had to fight for it. Whereas in Keep Sweet and Obey, they had to literally run for their lives yes and give up
1: literally everything they know and love and believe yeah yeah and that's what is very privileged to both be in our positions as we've been given that option to pretty much have the freedom to choose what what we want to believe and what we want to do yeah
0: and your nonna didn't disown you and my dad hasn't disowned me and we're speaking from a privileged place exactly yes
1: That's very interesting. And it's good having that similar sort of understanding uh, and um, how we've come across religion ourselves, because it's hard to put ourselves sometimes in the shoes of someone who has become into this um, fundamentalist church. But I think it's the fact that so many are born into it. it's, It's quite a it's quite an old, well, it's not super old, but the, you know, it was in the 1800s as well. So out of this fundamentalist church, there's lots and lots of generations who are born into it. I have looked into a little bit of psychology into cults in themselves yeah. and how that sort of applies with the FLDS. And I guess a few key elements to it is the leaders are very charismatic, present themselves as infallible, confident, grandiose, and very much demand obedience in everything that they practice it's very fear driven you can see that in a, what a lot of the the participants in the documentary say like if you do not do what tell you to do you're going to burn in hell essentially so it's very hard to have the choice to leave even in that sense it's like a controlling Viewpoint. There's also this we they philosophy. So we have the truth as FLDS members, and everyone else does not, which really rings true in some of the Baptist church that are picket gay marriages. I can't remember Westboro. Yes, Westboro. Yeah, Yeah. you know we're all going to go to heaven. You're all going to go to hell. Yeah, (laughs) and also like, and the difference between that and like religion is within a like a a religion that's not a cult. That individual is sort of encouraged to you know reconcile their religion with their family with their culture even if they're working in a society that isn't religious but in cults, it's that current and prior connectedness is denied. You're either with us or you're not with us. And that really, that sense that if I leave the church, I have to leave everybody behind is very much yeah. pushed. And of course, why would you want to do that if that's all you've known and loved all your life?
0: And your whole family is there. How can you say goodbye to your, your mom and your siblings and your sister-in-law? And your children as and well. Your, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I think it's infuriating though that they say you can't do these things for example the dear leader that is now in jail Mm. of the fundamentalist latter-day saints and one of the survivors was talking about how she had married him I think she was maybe 17 she was Mm -hmm. very young and he told her that she needed to stay with him one night so that Mm. they could make love and she didn't know what that was yes yes and then he proceeded to rape her and the whole time she was thinking but I've been told that I'll burn in hell if I do this yes yeah the leader's doing it so it must be okay but he's also told me I'm going to hell and what a confusing absolutely message to send to someone that you are assaulting that you have got under your complete power there there were moments like that in the documentary yep. that just it was literally like someone punched me in the gut how oh. upsetting that was the in rape alone but of then trust. yes yes unbelievable
1: and I think that comes into a big part of um not leaving is that cognitive dissonance which is when people are confronted with facts that sort of challenge their beliefs or or understanding or ideas or values, there's that sort of psychological discomfort and then that need to resolve that contradiction and reduce that uneasiness. So, you know, in that example, it's almost like, well, of course I've trust this person this whole time and I believe so deeply in the FLDS values, then this must be correct too. Like even though I feel uncomfortable with that, that shouldn't be that's not how I should feel about it. It's almost like gaslighting yourself
0: really. 100%. You
1: know, to actually go, okay, uh, no, this isn't right, would be to then have to go back and challenge every single other decision you've made in the church and say, well, that wasn't right too. And, that and wasn't challenge right the too. leader.
0: Yeah. I mean, which you can't Is basically a
1: God in the church.
0: Exactly. You can't challenge the person that is leading you, especially knowing that that could result in you being completely exiled as well. And that was
1: mentioned quite a lot in the documentary, how Warren Jeffs, who took over the church and is now in jail, would just push people out of the church for any little thing that he thought was
0: incorrect
1: or that he wasn't sure about. He made people leave and that was very much a message that you do exactly what we tell you to or you leave. So that fear and that obedience is very much uh, promoted.
0: Yeah. I think I hated that when you mentioned that, I remembered as well, that part when he had everyone in the hall and he told certain men to stand up and then he said, and now you're leaving. Mm -hmm. You've been struck from the church. And they had no idea this was coming and they had to leave straight away. And he said, if any of you cry then or, or show any emotions related to them leaving, then you'll be told to leave as well. And so no one was allowed to react. Because that means you're going
1: against. You're, yeah. Yeah.
0: Whoa. The religion.
1: What? So manipulative and controlling and abusive. So
0: sad. Yeah. I, like I'm laughing because I'm in shock. It's mm so deeply sad that these people have been made to feel like they can't have a voice. No,
1: no. And that, you know, those people that didn't know that they were going to be the ones to be exiled basically had to, with no choice, say goodbye to their families, their children, their wives, everybody, and start again. And
0: never see anyone again. It's tragic. It was deeply tragic. And like you said, fear-based all for your both. And it
1: really enhances because I think there's an Alyssa, Alicia, and I want to say Rebecca, who really talked about how they left. And for them to, given all of that, for them to leave, the bravery, the courage, and strength it would have taken to leave, mm. like literally having to walk away from your entire world, how much that would have been, but also how unsafe you must have felt for it all to lead to the point where you're like, I have to go. The amount of unsafety and discomfort you would have felt to make that decision I can't even
0: imagine I can't imagine and I hear their stories and I think it is incredible that you were able to pull together courage and your own thoughts and your own thought process because the brainwashing was intense to be able to pull together the the resources in your head when you've Mm -hmm. got none to be able to escape and have some form some sort of plan because it's they strip you of everything yes make you vulnerable and accountable only to them
1: and I know what I mean yeah 100% and you sort of hear their stories of how they tried to live life in the the day-to-day the rest of the world and they didn't know half the things that everybody else know like They never had a job or gone to the grocery store and things like that, having to really start from scratch again. And that sort of reminds me of the fact that one very abusive, manipulative tactic is the fact that all the women, like you said before, didn't know what sex was. They didn't know what consent was, for starters, but also what the actual act of sex is and what marriage actually is in the outside world and what the expectations are. That's That was all denied to them. So that took away their ability to know what was right and what was wrong and what, what's a violation and what's not a violation and made them so much really a vessel um, with no autonomy at all, which is just the to me the most abusive part of it really,
0: Absolutely. apart from
1: obviously the sexual Absolutely. abuse.
0: So demeaning, so yep. literally a vessel. Yeah, it's a horrible word, isn't it? But horrible words and that's essentially how they saw yeah them. horrible yeah. words are needed they were a tool all part of his manipulation and could unfortunately continue to be
1: I want to ask you, and feel free to answer how, however you feel, how did those kind of stories resonate with you in your own sort of personal experience? Has there been a, a similar situation where you've had to leave that a toxic or abusive environment? And is there anything in the women's stories that really reflected with yourself?
0: Oh, that's really hard to say because on so many levels I don't want to take anything away from their story. It's, mm. not, it's not about me. What they had to say, they were so brave, they were so articulate and considered in their story that they told. We're so lucky to have heard it. I think what I think what resonated with me the most was the emotional manipulation and abuse and the stripping of being able to have individual thoughts mm-hmm. that happens in it's happened in relationships of mine perhaps obviously not to this extent not to this extent at all but it's a it happens it that happens in abusive relationships Mm -hmm. so that definitely resonated the story of one of them who escaped in the night I think she was unable to escape with her children Mm -hmm. and she had to climb through a window and I just one night I had to try I tried to leave my ex and he took my car keys and I was in tears begging for my car keys so I could leave. I just wanted the relationship to be over and he was dangling the keys above him and he was really tall. I couldn't reach them. And then in the end I just said, Fine, I'll stay. I'll stay. It's fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Fine, I'll stay, I'm sorry. Always saying I'm sorry. It, that's like my trademark to say mm-hmm. sorry, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that resonated the needing to escape. But again, mm-hmm. on no, no level in comparison to what these incredible men and women have gone through and bravely spoken about in the mm-hmm. open, because they I I don't think I don't know if people realize that them speaking out as well is adding an extra layer of the church mm. blocking them out and mm. not being able to speak to old friends or old family members and I'd be in fear of my life to yeah. be honest. Yeah.
1: They are so brave to not only be talking about it on camera but using their names well as far as we and know faces. Names, and faces yeah. being very public and yeah. knowing that that this means I absolutely have no chance of seeing these people ever again. Yeah,
0: and I don't know, the documentary didn't make it clear, obviously for privacy reasons, but I wonder how many of them still live within that area as well, Mm -hmm. if they've been Mm -hmm. able to leave and move to other states or if they're still there too because I personally, could you stay somewhere like that knowing that, you could come and be killed, or absolutely. I just, oh my god! Not. But
1: it also depends on how much privilege they have in being able to leave too, yes. because yes. having to uproot what life you do have outside of the church and that's sort of very expensive move. Yes, and...
0: and if they don't have people that can help them, and exactly. So to isolate themselves into it. Yes. yeah oh so my it's god not,
1: yeah clearly not as easy as nothing as simple just, yeah yep exactly yeah. and I want to say to that example you gave of that horrible situation where the keys were being dangled and and you just acquiesced and you had to mm. and and apologized it really shows how that gaslighting happens of rather than your partner apologising to you for how they were treating you, you having to do the apologising, yeah. which I think is very present for these people whenever yes. they challenged And that carrot dangled was sort of that Zion that was being built in Texas, which I didn't even realise was an actual place.
0: And clearly neither did they. I googled it. Is it still
1: there?
0: Yes, it's still there, but I don't think it's being used. I think after the FBI raided, they stopped using it. Also, where does all the money go that
1: they get? That's a really good question. But I guess what we've kind of <laughs> learned about Warren Jeffs is he pretty much spent it on himself.
0: Absolutely. So
1: someone else is just spending it on themselves, I'm sure.
0: Absolutely. And I'd love to know what they're spending it on because they get millions of dollars.
1: Yeah. And I guess yeah. um, the other thing that I found interesting was that any sort of men, younger men in the, the FLDS Who weren't vessels to have children or to be wives were used as sort of slave workers to build Zion. And or they were like pushed out of the church because they weren't there was no value or use for them. Yeah. Which is so cult like and so abusive as well.
0: Yeah. Heaven forbid someone's disabled or has mental health issues or, you know, is unwell, then what happens? Yeah. Unwell in a way that doesn't suit their narrative. Exactly. As in having a mental health problem or what happens to them? And I'm sure there would have been many with mental
1: illnesses that yes. were given that message that, you know, keep sweet, make sure you're smiling, always be oh, happy. Oh, that makes me want to vomit. Yes, yes. That, you know, you're not allowed to have any emotions. So Mm. it would have been extremely traumatic, sort of that experience of masking for neurodivergent people. 100%. Having to pretend you're happy and how hard that would have been and stressful to live that way and traumatic. How
0: could someone with a disability be able to do that though? Like what happens to people? Because what happens to people in the community that are like that? And where are all the people of colour? Like, exactly, Why yes. don't they get a look in? Why is it all white people? I'm sure it sounds like from <laughs> from what I read as well. Warren Warren
1: Jess was very homophobic, racist. Probably yeah, believed yeah. in eugenics as well. Let's be honest. So
0: a little bit of Hitler kind of 100%, ideology. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, yeah. I guess
1: in terms of that, what we knew about Warren, I found him very interesting because it looked like he wasn't wasn't the most loved person. They were talking about how his brother was like, he was a bit odd, a bit weird. He obviously had a very privileged upbringing because his dad was, R- Rulon Jeffs? Um, yeah. was that yep. his grandfather? The leader. Yes, the And leader. then he
0: chose Warren to be the next leader. next leader. Yeah.
1: And I think given that he wasn't the most traditionally loved guy, I'm sure some of that narcissism came from wanting to, to sort of make up prove. for that and prove yep. that, you know, I'm a masculine I'm, you know, a powerful man.
0: I'm in control. Yes, 100%.
1: Because
0: and... losing control for a leader like that, if you've lost control, then everything crumbles. Yeah, then what have you got? he's still somewhat in control in jail. Yes, which is So he only got 20 years in 2007. So he could potentially be out. That is not that far away in the future. Within five years. That's terrifying. mind blown again. Yeah. And the fact
1: that they are still willing to believe in someone who has gone to church for gone to church, gone to jail for such <laughs> heinous crimes, yeah, um, but they're still willing to put their faith and belief into him and and take his guidance um, from behind. Bars. I wonder
0: how much of that is fear-based belief or truly brainwashed belief. Yeah, in many ways, I cannot. Blame those that still believe because they are victims themselves.
1: Hundred percent. They
0: just haven't come to that level where they uh acknowledge that yet. Mm-hmm. So sad.
1: And there might be some people that do feel that way, but feel that the alternative is again having to leave everyone you know yes. and acknowledge that you're like what I think it was Alicia says at the end, having to realise my entire life was a lie. It was all oh. based on lies. Like that's a huge confronting thing to have to come to terms with and then actually act upon.
0: Yeah, and say it out loud. Yes, and make it real. Make it real, yeah.
1: Did you have any thoughts in particular around some of the men involved and Warren Jeffs himself that you wanted to talk about?
0: I feel like the men were just as much victims as the women. Mm, I mm -hmm. don't want people to walk away from this podcast, thinking I'm only about the women here. Mm. Um, Yes, the men had multiple wives. Yes, they had gaggles of children with multiple wives, but they were doing what they were told as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. They had as much fear driven into them too. And then as there was that example in the hall, if there was any whisper of them not conforming to what and Jeff's desires were, mm-hmm. then they couldn't say goodbye to their families and had to leave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they were living under just as much fear as the women. I really admired the men that spoke in the documentary. I think there was only a couple. But their
1: voices, I I really appreciated having their perspectives as well. Yes. And yes. also the one at Alicia, I think, again, at the end who was saying, she was quite in love with the husband that she yeah. ended up with i think her name his name was leroy and she said they were really happy and really in love which is i think a really important story to tell as well not every relationship was coerced and yeah. forced
0: and well like the the, the two
1: the older couple, yeah, and she, that was was so my, sweet. she
0: married her high school sweetheart. Exactly. And then he married another three women. And it
1: also sounds like, you know, he wasn't 100% certain on having to do yes. this, but he was told the more wives you get, the more likely you're going to go to Zion. To, to Zion. Them, so you better get cracking. It was also, <sighs> you know, having to manipulate the men into doing that.
0: 100%. As well. I always feel like to Warren Jeffs doing that to the men was really just a tactic for him to be able to have more women. Oh yes. And yes. be a blatant prolific rapist. Yeah. Let's call it what it is. Yes.
1: Oh yeah. Actually um,
0: that it was all self-driven manipulation definitely yeah.
1: because he basically plucked wives off men once he became <laughs> the the prophet, the leader. Yep. They were all cast
0: out so he can marry them all essentially. Yeah. And he just, he would literally just choose women yeah. and then marry them that afternoon. <laughs> yeah. I'm not one for yeah. a big wedding anyway, but <laughs> to do that, it's just, it, it means you have no time to think. No. There's no thought process. You're just doing it.
1: Yeah.
0: Bang, you're married. Bang, I'm raping you. There's no opportunity for free thought.
1: Yeah. Which is, which is so likely the tactic, yeah.
0: 100%. The quicker we get it
1: done, the less time the there is l- for you to l- l- protest, yeah. yeah, or for anyone to question. I also feel like it, this documentary was quite timely given what's happened in the US in with the overturning of Roe v. Wade as well. You know, when you watch a documentary like with this with this very extreme experience, we're very quick to be like, that's horrible. But given there's a lot of people out there that are pro-life quote-unquote anti-abortion clearly there's quite a few given that there has been a repeal of protected rights for women to access safe abortion yeah those people should not be so quick to judge this when essentially that is what is happening in the U.S. in so many states of women not having the rights to decide whether they their
0: bodies yeah
1: (laughs) what they can do with their bodies This is an extreme version of that, but it's actually not that much more extreme, to be honest. But then it's
0: being played out in the courts right now. I read about, I'm sure you read about it as well, the 16-year-old, I think it was Texas, Mm. who was told that she was not mature enough to make a decision about an abortion and instead she needed to carry the child. But she's
1: definitely mature enough to be a mother. Go (laughs) figure. That
0: makes
1: no sense.
0: Yeah. Zero yeah, it's, Oh, that poor girl, my uh, heart. made me sick to my stomach. My heart. And Warren Jeffs was marrying 14-year-olds. Exactly. And here we go back to the loop again.
1: And I guess um, that sort of comes to my question about how they saw marriage in, in the church and what itself was. It seems like in the church it was more, or I shouldn't say in the church, in the sect or in the cult, more of a sacrifice for God so the more men have wives the more they're able to go to heaven and the more you know as a as a wife you sacrifice yourself so that you can live forever as well and keep sweet obey obey your yeah. husband you're essentially being sold to a man it's and i think they said that you know this is an example of sex trafficking one of the biggest sex trafficking <laughs> rings. rings in the world. Yeah. There is no joy, there's no consent, there's no mutual respect, there's no choice in that matter. Mm. And I feel like for those who do end up marrying at a very young age, even if they're happy with who was chosen, there's an element of grooming to there as well in the entire church. yeah that this is what you should aspire to do this is what you're like one of the girls is like 13 or something saying I, I want to get married can I get married yeah imagine that
0: yeah and the parents are groomed as well yes to believe that their children do need to get married and the sooner they get married the better and if they marry Warren Even better. Yes. Best thing ever. That's such an honour. Such an honour. Bring it on. Let's get married this afternoon. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, the parents were groomed as much as the children. And I know that happens in society. I know parents Mm. are groomed by pedophiles uh, and predators, I guess you can Mm. say that too, but not as this is prolific, consistent Across the board, every single person in this community who is a parent, let's face it, they all are literally. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And with their children are uh, groomed. When you're groomed as a child, that this is it's constant, constant grooming. Yeah. yeah. And then
1: those parents are groomed in order to groom as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh to my God. Pass that message down. How does that differ to how, how or how you see marriage? Like for me, because I'm in a a marriage that's completely different to that and that's always how I've (laughs) seen marriage, (laughs) there's autonomy, there's choice, there's very much equalness. How did did that relate for you as well?
0: 100%, completely different. Our marriage is autonomous, equal. My husband takes the kids to school most days and picks them up because I'm actually at work. He does a lot of the cooking. He's an ex chef, so he does a lot of the cooking. Which Amazing, is really that's handy. So good. Pretty shit with the washing. That's <laughs> fine. I, that's fine. I prefer to be able to fold it my way anyway. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I'm quite particular <laughs> sure about that. But there is equality, and I will. We'll both say if we're disappointed about something, there's no allowance for that mm. within mm. the FLDS. There's no opportunity for women not necessarily in the latter day saints I'm not we're not obviously talking about that we're talking about the fundamentalists mm. there's no autonomy for women to say anything or for men to speak up the men couldn't speak up either and had to marry other women
1: yeah they couldn't
0: yep. just stay married to one person and
1: that the roles of the <sighs> men compared to the so women sad. You know, both both parties were forced into those roles. Yeah. You know, the children were born, the men were really involved, even if they wanted to be involved. Even if they wanted to. Yeah. Yes. Which is just so yeah. different from
0: what I would ever want. <laughs> A lot of people would even expect. Absolutely. And yeah. I think most men do want to be involved with their kids. They, you know, it's 2022. It's not the 1940s or 30s anymore. I think yeah. most men... Particularly with COVID, I think that changed things too. Yes. For the dads who were at home, they got to experience what it was like to be around the kids and, yeah, that's changed things. Hopefully for the better for a lot of families, maybe not for everyone though.
1: Yes. But hopefully
0: it has for. Yeah,
1: and that was what was very uh, a silver lining for me and Michael was that because of COVID, he was at home for pretty much the whole year working from home. Which meant he got to have so much more hands on time and bonding time with Caspar when he wouldn't have had that at all if we had not had COVID. So, you know, it is, it almost has shaked up how we would see value in
0: change the structure of the family and
1: of work life as well. So,
0: yeah, completely different, completely different, more extreme than black and white in terms of what I know marriage to be what I hope a marriage or a um, domestic relationship or whatever, what I hope that to be um, compared to what these poor people were forced to do, what they're forced, continue to be forced to do.
1: What I really appreciated with this documentary is how it really portrayed the resulting trauma and the impact of of the the church's practices on each generation because to me and from what I know as a psychologist in my um, training with children and families is that that broken attachments between parents can be very fundamental to how a child's brain, their emotional capacity, their resilience, um, their successes, you know, as yeah. humans can have a huge impact. And you see a lot of broken attachments occurring, being taken from one mother Or one father Mm. to another, and then in the case of Alicia, who was made to whose children were taken to Zion, absolutely no, none of her consent. She had no control over it, and given to pretty much like a a family, uh, a community of mothers, um, which they gave them all like mother, mother Jane, mother Emma, or whatever it would be. And then when she came back to them, and she wanted to reconnect with them, and they had to call her like just mother, and she was a stranger to her children and the fact that they had to kind of rebuild that attachment again would have been so hard oh it's so sad and while like we know in lots of cultures a village raises the child and that's wonderful and that can be really great for children as well and oh my goodness if it was just one of us it's very hard <laughs> to raise yeah. one child or, yeah. or a few ch- children that wasn't really done with autonomy in the FLDS church yeah. or, or choice it was just this is your mum now or these are your mums now um this is your dad now so much more disruptive to the children's development and sense of self and but that was probably what they what they knew like there was no other um, way for them to think. Yeah, they didn't yeah. see that as being a problem, which is often the yeah. case too for children who grow up in traumatic families yeah. or backgrounds like this is what they know.
0: I think that the beautiful thing from that that can grow from that is when a child grows up and they know they want to break those that generational trauma. Yes, that's yes. happened before and clearly from this documentary we know that the opportunity for that to happen is quite small mm-hmm. within this community, but the people that have broken out and have been able to do that, wow, what incredible work they've done on themselves to yes. reinvent themselves completely. It's, in, it's amazing. It
1: would have taken so much strength. and. Oh, my
0: God. I grew up in a bit of a violent home. So I have wanted to definitely change things and have without family home. But like you've said, like we've both said, this is so many levels and so many layers for these people. And mm. they've come out and they're changing that trauma. That their, their grandfathers were the same and their grandmas mm. were the same and their other mothers and yeah.
1: Can I ask from your experiences too, what what would be some of the ways that they would have to try and do that? Like how are, how are some of the ways that you've tried to change those generational patterns? Lots of communication,
0: be, yeah. lots of communication and lots of honesty about what I've experienced. Just recently we went away to Port Douglas okay. and, um, and I was in bed and there was a little bit of an argument between my son and my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and there was a little bit of shouting and I heard the shouting And I cannot tell you this feeling that came over Mm -hmm. me. I've never, I've never felt this feeling or I haven't felt this feeling since I was a kid. And I Mm -hmm. just thought, I couldn't hear what anyone was saying, but I thought, someone's fighting. And I Mm -hmm. felt really scared for a second and then realized, like, it wasn't bad fighting. They were upset with him because he wasn't listening. Um, (laughs) But it was Mm -hmm. enough for me to think, it, it was like a flashback. Mm, that sort of fight or flight yeah.
1: response. It was
0: really weird and I don't want that. I don't want my kids to hear fighting like that. People fight. People get upset with each other but there's a particular yeah. tone and – time when it changes to something quite scary for that makes you feel unsafe yes 100 mm-hmm. so uh lots of communication and just having a person in your life whether they're a friend or a partner having people in your life that won't behave in the ways that are triggering for you yeah mm-hmm. you have to have those discussions and be open yeah
1: yeah I haven't had the same experience as you but I there are definitely some generational patterns I'm trying to challenge as well and prevent for my family and I think a big key thing for me is boundaries with particularly for those people who maybe model some of the behavior trying to challenge and change and being very clear with those boundaries and enforce them when you need to whether they're direct or indirect it might be oh I oh I'm sorry I have to go I've got I've got a phone call or no I will not tolerate that behavior we will not do that around yeah. me, my son etc which is hard when they're your loved ones and it's hard when it also is triggering for you
0: yeah. um
1: but it's a really I guess it's an important thing and the more you stick with them the easier it gets
0: over yes. time. you have to challenge behavior that makes you feel uncomfortable and have the yeah. voice to be able to do that, like these incredible people in the documentary. I don't know if I'd be able to do what they did. Oh my I God. honestly don't know, or if I'd just be submissive and and not think. Uh, it, and it really, it's
1: one of those experiences where you just don't know how you would react, and it would depend on so many things. Knowing that someone was on the other side, like I knew a few of the women had a cousin or brother or someone who who had gotten out and like that would maybe that would have been the key part of going okay I think I can do this Um, but without that you know it would have been Mm -hmm. almost impossible where would you sleep where
0: would you eat yeah you
1: would you have money would you be able to even get transport I was also interested in talking because we've we talked a lot about the trauma of being in the church But one thing I think was a really important thing to portray in the documentary, and I really appreciate the way they did it, was the trauma of the police intervention when they did come in and raid Zion and how that in itself was almost just more traumatising rather than anything else. What were your feelings on on that?
0: I was horrified. It um, reminded me of Waco as well. Oh, yeah, Uh, yeah. Not dissimilar to that. Albeit that ended in a very different way. They mm. treated the women and the children like criminals instead yeah, of the yeah. clear victims that they were. They, yeah. I felt like they didn't go in with resources to empower the people they were talking Just guns. to. They just put them into buses and shipped them away and there was no dialogue. There was
1: no. Mm, no one knew what was happening or where they were going. Nothing
0: gentle about it. Nah. It was abrasive and disarming and everything that Warren Jeffs said authority would do or the exactly. bad people would do, they did it. And they just yeah. reinforced exactly what he'd said, he said, therefore yeah. achieving nothing.
1: 100%. Yeah. It broke my heart seeing how they removed the children from their parents. Yes. Um, I still, I'm sure there was valid reason and maybe to prevent you know the children from being manipulated by the parent to say something or whatever it might have been i still don't think there's a good reason for that that in itself would have been deeply traumatizing and and just horrifying for the children and for the parents just unnecessary and damaging And then the fact that in the end they had no choice but to to hand them back over to their parents and let them go.
0: They gave them them no resources. They gave them Yeah, absolutely nothing. Could have been such a good opportunity to educate and empower these people, but instead they just fed into Warren Jeff's narrative.
1: And the TV spots that they did, and I know a few of the survivors. Were like that that little sweet voice, that put-on voice that makes them seem so innocent when they're not. But also like if I was that parent, I probably would have done the same thing. One hundred percent my
0: children back. Yeah. The whole So it really did nothing good. Whoa. It the me the media used the people for their for their ratings. The police Completely disregarded them as human beings, and yeah. it was just a shit show that that achieved nothing, nothing at all, except empowering Warren Jeffs more at the end of the day, and
1: creating more trauma and uh, abandonment, yes. and uh, anxiety yes. and PTSD for for these people who are already in such a vulnerable position 100%. and it really upsets me and it happens so often when I hear that child protection just like closes their books and can't do anything about
0: it because that still happens today. 100%. I've been in so many situations like this is still happening What exactly. happening there happens here maybe not with no. a bus but with a car take the kids yep. away traumatize the kids traumatize the parents give them nothing, no gentleness, no No. thought, no um, procedure into empowering them.
1: And then once they've, you know, they've done everything that they are legally required to do, they close the case and then there'll be another um, notification or something and they'll do the exact same thing again. And there'll be absolutely no, you know, benefit or change to to any of that, which is a very systemic problem across the board with child protection yeah. services and just general children yeah. um, services, child services. But, yeah, it really just hit home how the whole system is just so traumatising and badly set up. And it's to me it would have been a no-brainer to rather than have a SWAT team there, maybe some social workers or psychologists. Or but they
0: didn't have tanks like at Waco. So no, like they didn't have up. tanks. <laughs> They did really well. <laughs> At least
1: they didn't protect did so well. Like they tried. They did a <laughs> great job. <laughs> They're patting themselves yeah. on the
0: back. Like have trauma counsellors, have nurses, yes. have um, therapists. Like even have teachers, teachers just to come in and someone with a kind voice that can say, listen. Just listen yes. to what they have to say and work with them
1: because like as you say they were already scared of police because they were told to be scared of police and that's exactly what happened and they were being prepared for that moment from Warren Jeffs and yeah I think it was a really good message that you know yay we rescued some of these families or we, we did intervene but actually no one's a hero here Nothing good was
0: really achieved nothing by changed. it, and everything's
1: kind of the same as it yeah. as it was then. Yeah,
0: nothing changed long term. Nothing. Uh, mm. Nobody was truly saved from there. No, yeah, nothing. It achieved nothing, short term or long term. No. Yeah.
1: I guess the only thing that's come out of it is that Warren Jeffs went to jail, oh, yeah. but then but he he's going to be released, released
0: soon, and he's still <laughs> exactly. allowed to preach from jail. So there's really no difference, and he will be up on a pedestal when he is released because he served his time and by the grace of God, he's still here and God chose for him to to go through this in order to prove that he is the true believer and the true leader that everyone needs and he will be right back up there again. hundred uh, percent. You want me to write the script for him? Should I? Like...
1: <laughs> you might as well.
0: He <laughs> might lose a job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true and it's so endemic of so many narcissistic mm-hmm. or I would say sociopathic kind of individuals of that even when they are given the sentence that you are you know a criminal a sex criminal a rapist that can be morphed and modified so that he's given even more power because he's gotten through yeah. that experience and he's even come out of jail like that was his like descending into hell and coming out of hell again sort of story or 100%, whatever 100
0: 100 he'll say hell 100% he'll yeah. be descending, uh, from descending into hell and then rising above. We should we should contact him. We should. Although he's probably already thought of Spice about this. up the correspondence. <laughs>
1: <laughs> was there anything else about sort of the ending or, you know, the sort of last, I think it was kind of the last episode where we sort of saw all of that happen and then the fact There are still so many kids and families in the FLDS and we hear some of those survivors talk about that they're still estranged from them. But we also hear some of the hope from the survivors who have come out and reconnected with some of their family. Yeah, what sort of thoughts and feelings? The last
0: episode was incredibly traumatic. Um, to hear mm. because mm. of the tapes that they played. Oh, yes. Um, that was probably my oh. only criticism
1: is that we didn't need to hear oh. that tape. I really
0: mean didn't it, it really it. hit at home yeah. but at the same time I didn't need to hear that. It was, I'm struggling to Sickening. put it into words because that's. Oh, it was awful.
1: That was probably like I, I really loved the documentary. I think it was done really well and really centred the survivors in their stories. Yeah. But I don't understand why they had to give us that little snippet before the end yeah, of that snippet. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: I thought that was it too was, much. It was and really triggering.
0: nauseating, truly nauseating. I've listened to victim impact statements and I read sentencings and all sorts of um, legal documents where it says what's happened to someone. But hearing the event happen is beyond that's not something the general public needs to hear. Save it, save it for a courtroom, seal it. Yeah, I, I don't just don't understand. I don't think it's needed for the general public. Use it for legal purposes, use it for to find someone guilty, fine. But I don't think the general public needs to hear yeah, that. Definitely agree.
1: That part aside, and everyone who's seen it will know exactly what we're talking about. I did like the sort of final I think it's the final scene where, one of the final scenes where one of the survivors talked about how the the truck, yes. um, she was watching the truck with all her stuff Flying out. leave the church and it was all coming out. It just opened up and it all disappeared into the distance and she was like, well, I'm just starting from yeah. scratch then. Yeah. And I thought that was a really hopeful because we can see that she has, you know, she's got her kids around her and they've got a. they seem, you know, I'm sure not every day's the same, but they seem very harmonious and um, quite connected. So I thought there was a really good message of hope in there
0: as well. Absolutely. I think it carried, I think it prevailed through the documentary, even in the darkest bits. I think knowing that we were hearing the survivors tell their story in on their terms, I think that Message of hope really prevailed, but it crescendoed with that shot of the truck with the doors flying open, the things yes. falling everywhere, and that was it. Was like a it was a cheering moment. It was liberating, yeah, it, was it super cathartic. exemplified her being liberated. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: which is I think really powerful because given everything she's given up and having to start from scratch, that sense of liberation is also something to really hold on to as well. and know
0: that hopefully there are other women out there who have had the same experience and have liberated Mm -hmm. from FLDS since then and that there will be another woman soon down the track who's making her plans. That fills me with hope.
1: And hopefully because of this doco, uh, and obviously we've seen how isolated the community is and how they're not allowed to think or consume anything outside of the FLDS sort of doctrine, the fact that there's this group of women and men who have come out of the church and if, you know, if people are empowered to leave, there is a community there. They This is a public piece of um, media so there is hope there that they will not have to struggle quite as much as the people that left first because they're there to support yeah. The other survivors, which is really
0: powerful. I, it makes me want to drop pamphlets from a drone. <laughs> from a drone. Say, <laughs> there's hope out there. <laughs> www.netflix. So, like little-
1: <laughs> <laughs> How did you think the documentary dealt with some of the traumatic, potentially triggering things in it in terms of? Do you think it was respectful and responsible or do you think they could have done a bit better?
0: I actually think they did very well to be honest. I think they labeled things correctly. The only the only grievance I have is with the playing of that tape. Yeah, agreed. I was not prepared for that. But I think that they had warnings in place and then at the end they had telephone numbers and resources that people could use. So yes. it wasn't it wasn't with it wasn't just thrown in with abandon and deal with this trauma as you please they did make the effort to make resources available yeah it was just yeah. that bit
1: which almost erases all the good stuff that they did but i, I still <laughs> respect them for all the good stuff and i liked that at the beginning of every episode they had you know access this website if yes. you need further support and it was very specific to keep sweet pray and obey and yeah. a couple, i think there was a couple of other um, documentaries where the resources were related. So I thought it was very individualized to
0: absolutely to so that group yeah, of people. It wasn't just a catch yeah. 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 yeah,
1: which I really appreciate. And yeah. I think Netflix has improved on their content and trigger warnings a little bit more than maybe ten years ago or Yeah, absolutely. Sooner.
0: I think they all have. I think they're uh, being held accountable by viewers to yes. actually put some thought into this if you if you're gonna put it out there, make sure your viewers are say
1: yeah I, I just thought it was very nuanced it was showed at all different sides it wasn't black and white it wasn't trying to push an agenda or paint religion in particular as bad it like there's so many documentaries where it really manipulates you into being like this was the awfulest yeah you know, this this uh this, this cult or this culture is just really awful but it really just told it as it was from the people's perspective as they saw it good and bad
0: yes I think so too and I think it also it made sure it focused on FLDS it didn't deviate to Latter-day Saints and try and pull them into the same pool it really focused on FLDS and the survivors controlling the story which was the best thing Mm -hmm.
1: Thank you so much for chatting with me about this documentary. I feel like it's really essential viewing as long as people go into it knowing that it is quite traumatising.
0: Absolutely. They need to know that it's traumatic. Yes.
1: Yes. But one of the things you said to me before I watched it was just remember this is the survivors taking ownership and control and feeling empowered by being able to tell their story and just... Being able to understand the processes that led to the, their ability to leave and also the fact yes. that many are still there yes. is really important to keep in mind, I think. I uh, obviously follow you on Instagram. Is there anything else yes. you want people to donate
0: to Liptemba? Yes, donate to Lip Mental Health for Women. I'll definitely be talking about it through the month on my Instagram. I think you can put on all the bright lipstick in the world, but you need to talk about it. So that's what hundred percent I'll be doing in my own special way. <laughs> and I do want to just gently
1: plug that Merwin's wonderfully outspoken on Instagram about things like the importance of vaccines and COVID safety and sexual assault and um, mental health, mental health, domestic violence, empowering victims and what to do and talking about things like DAVO and really important, really important content. So make sure you're following Merowyn. It's just I've learned so much from your page and also felt really empowered by your page as well. Um, Thank you. You've probably seen I share a lot of Marilyn's posts. So (laughs) you should too, audience. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Psycho Cinematic Podcast. If you really enjoy our podcast and want more, don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon. For only just $3 a month, you get access to lots of exclusive content bonus episodes, and of course your opinion matters more to us than those who don't subscribe. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook, and chuck us a wholesome review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or GoodPots. Do it! See you later. This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app.